I want to invite you to open your Bible to Matthew chapter 5, first book in the New Testament. We want to be a church that looks at the Word of God every week, and uh, we intend to do that. I hope you guys are having a good weekend. Most of you here probably have a long weekend. I know there's a good handful of us that are uh, being salt and light at various places this weekend. I talked to several people who are out of town and uh, camping and doing whatever else. So we're the remnant that stayed put. Someone had to stay here and hold down the fort. So that was us. Good job. Um, I want you to get your mind around or thinking about stereotypes just for a second. We're going to have a little bit of fun with stereotypes. Um, Some of you have probably had some stereotypes maybe leveled against you that weren't so fun. Stereotypes can be damaging, right? They can be really funny. They're actually what helps make movies and TV shows work sometimes because you can kind of, you know, stereotype someone and a lot of people across, um, across culture maybe identify with it or, or can relate to it. And so I'm going to throw up a couple of words and I want you to just um, kind of help me out this morning with, with what kind of uh, images come to your mind, what kind of adjectives might come to your mind. Um, here's the first one, librarian. What comes to your mind with a librarian? Quiet. What else? Glasses. What else? Tight bun. Yeah, in the hair. Yeah. What else? That could have gone either way. What else? Huh? Old? What else? Smart. Okay. Finger. Yeah, strict. Yeah, the finger to the mouth. Okay, yeah. How about this one right here? And my apologies to those who may be these things this morning, but a used car salesman. Crooked. What else? Slimy. Pushy. Cheap suit. All right, yeah. Normani's there. What else? Dishonest, yeah. Maybe a little bit obnoxious, I don't know. Um, how about this one here? How about grandma? Oh, I just feel like grandma. What do you think about when you think of grandma? Huh? Claudia. <laughs> She's like, hey. What else? Huh? Pie, yeah. What else? What? Round, okay, yeah. What? I thought you said Uggs, like Ugg boots. I'm like, wow, you got a kiss grandma. Hugs, yes, that's definitely a grandma thing. What is it? Tender, yes. We had an event in here called Mystery Night on Friday night, and several people in this room drove, and we still have bags under our eyes a little bit. Um, but we had a ton of our youth, high school and junior high, in this room. We were doing some different things. And um, actually, Kelly Barrow came back, and she uh, one of the items that she purchased, evidently, was a, um, what do you call those things? Incense, thank you. And she goes, here, Dave, smell this. And she like, shoved it right to my nose. And if you could bottle up kind of the classic grandma and grandpa smell, it was in this incense. I don't know what it was called, but it was phenomenal. And I was like, whoa! And it was immediately, it's kind of that, I don't know, it's a, it was phenomenal. One more. Um, CEO. What do you think of? Boss. Not, not a cheap suit, maybe, huh? What else? Powerful. Polished. Money. Successful. What? Frowning. Okay. (laughs) Maybe stressed out. Busy. Okay. Now, let's. um, sometimes it's easier to kind of look at things that that aren't you and kind of poke stereotypes. And and those of you who are librarians in here today are probably going, that's not fair at all. I only wear my hair in a bun like four days a week. It's not every day. I mean, you know, but we kind of get a little bit uptight about it. But how about this one? How about for Christian? Now, I don't want you to answer this. I want you to chew on this for a second. And most of you sitting in this room, I'm looking around, and I know most or not, if not many of the faces in here, and um, many in this room would identify themselves as a Christian. They would say, yeah, that's me. Let me ask you this. What would, what would others say about a Christian? 
and what comes to mind when you hear the word Christian. Now, here's the, here's the kicker. If we're at a, at a used, cars, uh, used car salesman convention, we're going to have a little bit harder of a time saying, yeah, it's not fair what people think about us. And we may not be able to articulate all the things people feel about us because we're inoculated from a little bit, because we're all them. So, so for Christian, really the, the best place to ask this would be outside of church on Sunday morning, right? But just get your mind around this a little bit. Let me just toss some things out and, and, and see uh, what you think. Don't respond. Just kind of chew on this. Would you say that people would look at Christians and say those are people of action or people of talk? Would you say people look at a Christian and they think immediately, first thought, gut level reaction, compassion? Or immediately, first gut level reaction, judgment? Now, I'm being a little bit unfair. I'm, I'm making it black or white, really heavy on one side or the other. Um, how about this? Relevant? Or out of touch? Christian. Generous or stingy? Christian. Credible or faulty? These are some things that you, you think about. Now, this is the one I want to kind of zero in on today. Influencing or unnoticed? Matthew 5. We just had much of the chapter read to us. Jesus actually sat down and just began to teach. That was customary. And He began to teach his disciples, and what, what Mark and, and, uh, and Rob just read up here are called the Beatitudes. And the, the context of this passage, starting right there in verse 3, is this, um, this blessed are the... And then he goes on to list these several things. And in essence, he's kind of describing what these, these new kingdom people are all about. And this is, you're, you're blessed if you're this. And he just right out of the gate kind of starts to call blessed or favored things that are, you already just begin to see kind of this topsy-turvy way. Poor in spirit, those who mourn, the meek, the hungry and thirsty after righteousness, the merciful, the pure, the peacemaker. And then he throws in the kicker. And you're blessed if you're persecuted. You're blessed if you're insulted. And that's where it starts to get really strange. Look at verse 12. There's a, there's a why to all of this. Why are you blessed if these things are going on to you? Look at verse 12. It says this. Rejoice. This is if people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you. The command is rejoice. Here's why. Verse 12. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. As a matter of fact, they ended up killing most of the prophets. And Jesus followed suit with that. Started off with some, some popularity. And then gradually things wound down to a place where he was being put to death. Why are we to be uh, thrilled about this? It's because there's a greater reward. There's a, there's a treasure that's greater than here. There's a treasure that's, that's greater than what we're working for here. This passage that we're going to look at this morning, in essence, it summarizes, it's a really succinct way of summarizing our function in the world. And something that you may have heard before in this passage, which is, which is absolutely true, is he's, he's simply stating a fact. You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. It's a little bit misleading to put this in the demanding series. Because the, the demanding series says, what does Jesus require of us? What is He telling us to do? What does God command of his followers. And in essence, this isn't so much a command. Go and try to be light. That's not what he's saying. He's simply stating a fact. You are the light of the world. 
If you're in my family, if you've been born again, if you're, if you're a child of God and a disciple of Jesus, you are the light of the world. There's no other. And it's already a done deal. Uh, Matthew 5, 13-16, follow along. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. If I could summarize this, um, I would say this, that, that in a word, um, we, are to, we are to influence our, our surroundings. Light influences. Salt influences. By its very nature. It doesn't muster up. It just does. That's, the, that's the, the nature of it. One definition of influence is simply this. Lead to believe or do. And I thought, man, that's a powerful illustration of what, of what Christians are. Do our words, do our actions lead people to believe? Lead people to do? Go and seek Jesus. Kind of synonyms for influences. Affect, alter, modify, change. The title this morning that I have for us is Influence Your World. We already talked about influence, but here's, here's why I say your world is... Um, Carl, can you advance it one, please? Your is, uh, is that we're, we're not able to affect where we are not. But we are able to affect where we are. So influence your world means this. You, you, you can influence those spaces that, that you occupy. And you don't have to worry about obeying. Not, we, we, we've talked about this before. We can't obey in the future, right? I, I cannot obey five years from now. I can only obey right here in the present. And I can't obey in the past. But the same is true here, where uh, we just sang a song, we must go live to feed the hungry. If I'm never around hungry people, then, then, then I'm not worried about feeding them. Now, I may say, I'm going to put myself in the path of hungry people. Because... That's who Jesus seemed to have a heart for. That's who He seemed to, to go after and have a heart for that. But I don't have to worry about people that are in Australia that are hungry right now. There's hungry people right here. There's people who were enslaved right here. I don't need to worry about obeying where I'm not. I'm going to worry about obeying right where I am. And influence your world because this. The scope of it, if it was influence your family, influence your cubicle, influence your peer group, influence your classmates, that would be way too small of a goal, and you could almost pull that off. And guess who would get the glory for that? You would. You could almost pull off influencing your office mates. If you just said, that's my mission field. But you know what? The, 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 the mission field is so much broader than that because it's a, it's a God-sized scope, and that means all of a sudden, remember who's your neighbor? Who is your neighbor? Call it out. Who is it? I mean, it's everyone I come in contact with, Right? So, so, again, because of technology and sort of different things, it really expands my neighbor pretty quickly. Because in 24 hours, I can be almost anywhere on the planet right now. But, but here's who also my neighbor is. If I go out to lunch after this, uh, after this service, and I bump into a soul who's been made in the image of God, who has this whole universe going on with them, they're my neighbor. I moved yesterday. And God has already allowed me, catch this, I got to meet my neighbor to one side a month ago when we were doing some work. I got to meet my other neighbor on the other side uh, yesterday. 
two days ago, I got to meet my neighbor across the street. And I'm at Subway picking up food for my workers. And I bump into my neighbor behind me. And we got talking about different things. And, and God's already just allowing me to meet my physical, actual neighbors. But my neighbor really is, is whoever I come in contact with and bump into. Let me just kind of touch on, on, on these things here for a little bit. The idea of salt. Uh, there's a lot of different uses for salt. And again, grandmas come up with some great uses. They, they use salt probably better than, than we do in, in today's day and age. Um, but let me, just, let me just get you to think about, about two things here for, for a second. One function of salt is to preserve, and one, and one function of salt is to flavor, right? So again, there's lots of other things you could use it for. In Colorado, they salt the roads when it snows. And um, again, can use it for other stuff. The idea of salt being a preservative and the idea of salt being a taste enhancer uh, presupposes that the world is in decay and presupposes that in some ways the world is tasteless. That we go around and we're, we're looking for things. And Jesus grabbed onto these two, these two pictures, these word pictures, really uh, pretty amazing actually. There's something pretty fascinating about salt. I'm going to sprinkle, I don't know how many I have in here. I probably have well over 50 pieces of salt, grains of salt in my hand, okay? You, you can't even see that, right? They're pulling out my notes. But um, if I were to take one, I, I, I almost couldn't even grab one grain of salt. It's so small and insignificant, right? But wouldn't you agree that that, that relatively small amount uh, is really pretty powerful? I mean, you take just a pinch of salt, remember that term? And you just, you sprinkle on something, and it's got this kind of amazing uh, power to it. It's very uh, inexpensive or relatively inexpensive to us. Uh, it's, it's quite insignificant in a lot of ways. It's very common. I mean, it's not just like Jesus, too, to identify with us as salt, something fairly unglamorous. This is about as glamorous as salt looks on your screen right now. No one ever takes cool hip shots of salt because it just doesn't fly. It's like, eh, it's salt. Who cares? This is the coolest one I can find. You know, this is salt's big day whenever preachers preach on it, I think. Um, Romans 1.16. You know what else is really, really um, kind of common and simple, but it just possesses great power is the gospel. We have, behind this wall, there are kids learning the gospel right now. We, we share with children the gospel. And in Romans 1, uh, verse 16, it says this. Uh, Paul writing, it says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes first to the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the Gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. That's what we all want. I mean, we don't even know we're looking for that, but that's really what we want. We want a righteousness. We want forgiveness. It matters to us deeply. And in this simple Gospel that you can share with someone in 30 seconds is this this kind of mysterious power that's unlocked from it. No Bible college needed. Uh, no hours of training needed to understand it. You can just get it. And it's really simple and yet really powerful. Uh, salt, of course, remains ineffective when it stays in the salt shaker. And I think there's a book titled something along those, those lines. And it's, it's, it's pretty interesting um, that if you just keep all of this in this little glass jar here, um, all of it's all of its potency and really its value um, goes away. And it just kind of, it just kind of stays here and, and isn't effective. John Fisher, in a book called What on Earth Are We Doing, writes these words. He says, the, the degree to which we feel removed from sin and sinners 
is the degree to which we will render ourselves ineffective for the Gospel. We come from a long tradition of thinking that our impeccable lives will be the Gospel's most treasured possession. And that by the nature of brilliance, we will draw the world to us. He goes on to say this, as it turns out, we are the ones who treasure those perfect lives. The only treasure of sinners is the Gospel. When we see ourselves as saints too soon, we leave the point of the Gospel behind forgetting why it is such good news. Haven't you ever been suckered into thinking that in sharing the Gospel, I need to show people that I've got it figured out? That my life's going so well because I have Jesus? And if they can see me figuring out and someone's getting it right, they'll just be drawn to Jesus. That's not what we were told to do. We're told to lift up Jesus and all, and all people will, will, will be drawn to Him. And sometimes we get that wrong. And sometimes our testimonies sound like these glowing things and it's like, and it, it preaches this false message such that someone comes along and places their hope in Christ and something goes wrong and they go, gosh, I must be doing it wrong. Something's going on. Salt can seriously influence taste. Now, I need, um, I need a volunteer at this point. Um, I'm going to pick on Chuck, because Chuck and I coach the soccer team together, and so we've seen each other at our best and at our worst, and he'll forgive me. Come on. I mean, um, he'll thank me. Come on up, Chuck. Up, Chuck. That was weird. Um, never, ever heard that one. Hey, buddy. Um, so, um, Bertha was gracious enough to, to um, entertain my, my fun whim. Now, Chuck's a, really, Chuck's a really healthy eater. I happen to know that. And he probably doesn't eat uh, French fries at um, 11 o'clock very often, if, if much at all. But um, I have two large french fries from, from Jack in the Box, and these are smelling pretty good. And here's what I want to do. I want to have kind of a little taste test for you, okay? Um, so, do you use salt in your cooking much? No. Very low sodium, huh? I, I just thought about that. I don't want to... Am I going to kill him or something? Okay. I'm going to just... I'm going to just lightly sprinkle... Now, I never do this. I... There we go. I'm always the person who puts it in my hand first and just sprinkles a little bit. Like, I never want to get kind of too much. But I want you to take one of those. Here, take a, take a smell first. That's not pretty good, huh? That grease going. Okay. Now, give me, a, give me a rating on it. Like a grade. Oh, a cold, lukewarm. That's a different passage. All right. All right. So, he said, man, make me thirsty. Sorry, I'm not going to share I have to keep talking, so... Um, yeah, salt's about good. Without salt, kind of bland, probably a little bit, but they, they taste pretty good. Um, here's, here's in some ways what, what happens with, with Christians. Not all the time. But um, you've seen this, this, this trick plate, of course, where um, you know someone, someone loosens this lid like, like this and you, and you go to use it. Um, once in a while, what you have is you have people who come along and they say, you know what, I heard a great sermon, I feel convicted or whatever else. Or they come along to someone and they just go, man, I just really need to share the gospel. And they just kind of, and they just kind of go, hey, Jesus loves you. I was going to find your life. Good luck with everything. Now, um, kind of a blanket statement is that salt affects taste, right? A little pinch of salt, good. Um, I'll try not to kill you. There. Looks like a sugar donut. All right. Oh, man, this is brave. Whoa, give it up for God. All right. 
Now, just, just give me a rating on, on that French fry. Salty. Would you ever order this and, and eat it? Ever? No. Yeah, would you ever want to do this again? No. All right, give it up for Chuck. Um, you know what? That's, that's, the, that's the, the, the problem, I guess it is. If we don't just let this kind of um, envelop us and, and be who we are on a daily basis, instead of just trying to, to catch up once in a while, or, or instead of just coming back and going, all of a sudden, I'm just going to kind of barf out a bunch of spiritual truth on someone. And it comes out about like that to, to, to people. And so then, it, so then it takes someone who's got a certain stereotype of a Christian and it, and it reinforces certain kinds of things. And they go, man, they just keep chucking like gospel grenades at me and they explode in my face. They ask me how I'm doing and immediately try to sell me something. All of a sudden we sound like a used car salesman, don't we? You know who doesn't like that? Those who are getting sold to and those who are doing the selling. That just doesn't feel good. That doesn't feel right. We look at that and go, I've tried that. I kind of felt like that was the way to go. And that, that doesn't feel right. That doesn't even seem like, like what we're called to do. Um, before we move on to light, I just thought of this. The, the idea of salty. What, what does it mean if someone is salty in their personality or they have salty language? Don't give me examples. Just tell me what that means. Just what does it mean? Off-colored words, rude, yeah. There's, um, I, I found this, um, it's like the Jarhead Salty Language Guide or something. I'm like, who needs a guide for this stuff? Like, someone compiled a guide? But it, it means using, yeah, cuss words, and it's someone who's maybe rough around the edges, rude, whatever else. Here's, here's, my, here's my challenge to us as a church. I used to do this with our youth ministry. When I would look around and I would see almost every face, and I knew every face in the room, I would just, I would call a timeout and say, man, um, guys, we need to change something up. We need to have people in here that I don't know. We need the people out in, in here that, that you don't know. I would actually prefer our church to be heading into a season where we have some more salty characters sitting in our service right now. Those who don't really understand what you're supposed to do in church. Some of you have been here on some Sundays when I've asked a rhetorical question and the church crowd that knows how to be at church knows it's rhetorical and there's a handful that don't and so they just start talking back. I love that. Because what it means is the very people that need to hear the gospel are in our midst, are, are getting roped into community. They're, they're getting to hear the good news of the gospel. It never offends me when someone doesn't know how to act in church. That's a great thing. So here's my challenge to us as a church. Let's have some salty people here. I know that you know some salty characters. Some of you are salty characters. You just kind of dress it up a little bit more on Sunday morning. Grab the people who you're around influence them, invite them to church. One of the guys that helped me move yesterday, he just will invite a, a, a stick to church. I mean, he invites anything that moves at all to church. And you know what? They come. They come in droves. This guy used to do a Saturday night service with me long ago. And he just, I mean, he, he couldn't fathom why the entire city wasn't in our services. And he made a point of going out. And he just has this way of, 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 of doing it. And that's kind of who he is. Jesus was accused of being a drunk and being a glutton. You know how you get that reputation? By being around those people and by being in scenarios like that. Now again, there's a little bit of a fine line here. Some of you who may be coming out of an alcoholic past, you probably shouldn't go grab a beer with your friend. That's a bad idea. 
But being accused of being a drunk and a glutton, being accused of hanging around with sinners, being accused of not being with the right crowd as a rabbi, no less. It ought to just kind of help have us look in the mirror a little bit and say, man, who do I invest in? Who am I seeking relationship with? Who am I seeking to influence and, and be with? Jesus loves sinners. Therefore, it's quite simple. We love sinners. We're to be like Jesus. That's who, that's who we're growing into the image of. So if Jesus loves sinners in his present tense, then we're to love sinners. Uh, I had a conversation with a guy yesterday. And, um, and I'm talking to this guy and we're chatting a little bit. And he said, um, it kind of came out that he said, uh, he knew I was a Christian. And so he goes, yeah, I'm a heathen. And he kind of laughed a little bit. He goes, well, I'm not that bad. But I'm, I'm not a church guy. And then he rattled off all these different people who he knew who were Christians. And I'm just laughing. And he goes, yeah, now I'm meeting you. And I, and I, said, I said, don't you think God maybe tried to tell you something? I said, I think, I said, I think God's moving in on you, bro. <laughs> and he was like, I know. And he kind of actually had a, a serious thing. Like, he was like, I know. I think that's kind of true. And his thing was, he's like, you know what? I try to do good. And I try to think. And we, we got talking a little bit. And it was just so cool because he even saw that. And it wasn't a negative thing. It wasn't like, yeah, I know all these Christians. He rattled off all these people that were Christians that were in his life. And I thought that was a really cool thing. Let's shift our focus to light for a second. Light, by its very nature, you think about light, it's, it's penetrating, right? There's no such thing as a flash dark, right? We have flashlights because flashlights go in and it, can, and it can dispel darkness. Isn't that a powerful kind of metaphor for the gospel? That, that, that we're in a dark world and, and the Bible says, hey, greater is the power who's in you than, than that which is in the world. And so wherever we go in darkness, we, we hold on to this promise and say, God, God, your presence with me in the present. Right now, you're with me. And just like having a flashlight, it can't lose to the darkness. It's just the, the nature of light. It also has this intangible quality to it. Have you ever been in a really, really dark place, um, physically, like actual dark place, um, no moon, no stars, whatever, and then you see light, um, or a really, really dark room, the power's gone out, and you find a light, or you light a candle? Even as an adult, there, there is this kind of intangible peace that can kind of come from light, a comfort that can come from light, a drawing of, of, of people to the light. As a kid, a lot of people are afraid of the dark. I've been to several different places in the world, and people all around the world are afraid of the dark, little kids. It's like, it's like the most universal thing is that they're afraid of the dark. And you think about, about being afraid of the dark, and the only, um, the only remedy to being afraid of the dark is some kind of a light, right? I mean, having mom there and stuff is, is good, um, but, but it really goes away quickly when there's a light. And it's almost hard to explain that, but we've all felt that. We all know what that feels like. And, and so it is with, with, a, with, a, with a Christian. So it is with God's presence. There's an, there's an intangible quality to a Christian being present in a situation. At least there ought to be. There's an intangible quality to a Christian being engaged in a family situation where before there, there, there was none. And it's not always hard to, or it's always easy to kind of put your, your finger on. You know what else about light is that it reveals truth that otherwise is hidden. Um, think about having a, a desk up here. Let's say I had a desk and it was pretty dark and you couldn't see and you were constantly buying this desk. If you were to turn on some bright lights and really get in there and look at it, you would start to see, man, it's got tons of nicks in it and this drawer doesn't work and whatever else. And this light reveals the condition of a desk 
or it reveals all the things going into your lungs that you couldn't see before. But when the sunlight hits the dust, you're like, whoa, all that stuff's in the air (laughs) and I'm breathing that in. Light has this ability to illuminate truth, to illuminate reality that before was kind of hidden. And so it is with the Christian. So it is with us as being called to be light. Some of you may say this right now, that, 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 that you're in a really, really dark place. And maybe instead of praying for rescue, maybe instead of praying to be removed from that, maybe instead of praying for comfort, maybe what you ought to do is pray for effectiveness. What if God has one of His lights in a super, super dark place on purpose? Do we ever consider that? I mean, when I get into a dark place, I mean, I just go, Lord, get me out of here. That's my, that's my natural gut reaction. And so what if instead of praying for those things, what if you start to pray for effectiveness and say, God, you're with me, you're sovereign, you know I'd be here. And this is a dark place. You must need some light here. Would you just keep me strong, be with me, help me to be effective and, and, and be, be led by you. Um, this passage draws out something that is, uh, that is quite obvious, but, um, but once again kind of powerful. It talks about salty... Salt losing its saltiness. And then he goes on and talks about light and, um, and, not, and not doing this to it. You know, this, this entire time, there's been, a, there's been a light here which has been relatively ineffective. Now, because we have lights on right now, it's still kind of ineffective. But um, it would be, under normal circumstances, really, really foolish to do what I just did. I just went and turned this light on before service, put it under a bowl, and just left it sitting there the whole time. It makes a point. That's kind of groovy. Um, and and the the obvious the obvious picture of this is to say this you you are the, the the light of the world and and every one of us in here could teach a little Sunday school lesson on what it means to do this to it and to just kind of cover it up and every one of us in this room I think probably has a story where we'd say God would you forgive me for doing this right here I don't know why I feared this person's opinion of me more than the creator of the universe's opinion of me. Isn't that goofy? That, that, that's, like, that's like fearing, you know, it's like fearing an ant versus a tiger. You just go, that, that, does, that doesn't equate. That doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And yet sometimes, I'll say it often, I find myself in a place and I, I, I recognize God's calling me to step forward and just be a witness for Him. Just be who I am. And I, I find myself tempted to do this right here and kind of cover it up. And, um, and it's, it's quite easy to see that you take a, a light like that and you, and, you, and you cover it up and it just renders it useless. Now, let me do the same thing that I did with salt before. Um, some of you have had roommates before, maybe in college or whatever else. And some of you had very considerate roommates. Some of you didn't have considerate roommates. Um, an inconsiderate roommate is one who walks in and cranks on all the lights when you've been asleep for an hour and a half and he's digging around his stuff because he needs to find his toothbrush or whatever else. And he just kind of cranks this, this light on and you all know how that feels. You know, you're just like, ah, turn it off. And to people who've been in sin their whole life, and that was all of us, every single one of us, whether you're in sin right now whether you've been redeemed and you're struggling with your sin and being found forgiven in it, we've all known what it's like to come to the light. And some of you were, were, uh, were, were, kind, of, were kind of gently guided along 
And I think God has certain personality types that come and are giant spotlight beams. But more often than not, I think coming up to someone and blinding them with a massive light in their face, with their sin, with the gospel, with the fact that they're going to hell and all this and that, just blasting it in their face. It, what, what do you do when, when light comes at you like that? You recoil, right? You, you run from that. And so this is a fine line here. Some people in this room need to grow in their boldness. I would venture to guess a lot of people in this room need to grow in their boldness. But I think in terms of thinking about how do we do this, how do we communicate the gospel in such a way that people will be drawn to it and, and not just spew it out. Take fishing, for example. If I'm a real fisherman and I'm going really to catch fish, I'm going to go do it a certain way. If I'm kind of a yahoo out there who's got a ton of fishing gear for Christmas and I've got my I'm a fisherman cap on and I come out with my big old you know, cooler and I plop it down, I'm like, hey, brother, we're high-fiving, we're doing all this stuff. We're kind of putting on the show that we're fishermen, but we don't really care much about fishing, right? I mean, we're going to get our line wet, we're going to do some different things. Whereas the real fishermen across the way going, you know, keep me in loud, you're scaring all the fish to me over here, you know. But they know kind of a, what, what they're about and what they're doing. And I wonder if we think strategically like that, or if, if once in a while we kind of make a show that, that, that we're Christians and so we kind of spew it out. And this is something that I want to, I want to challenge all of us to grow as the Lord leads us in it. And there are some situations where I have just been... Um, very powerfully convicted to just be really bold and really to the point and really in your face. And there have been other times where my tongue has wanted to run and say things and I just felt the Lord saying, just, just hold quiet right now and don't, and don't speak a whole lot. And those are things where, where I don't have the, the wisdom of what's going on with someone. But many of you have walked with the Lord for a long time and you've seen the Holy Spirit at work here. Here's how you see it at work. A person comes back and says, you said just the right thing at just the right moment. And you just go, man, I don't want to be cliche, but all glory to God. I mean, there's no way I could have known that was going on in your life. That is so cool. God's drawing you to Himself. Don't you see that? You're welcome. I was so glad to, to, to just be there. And when you start to see those things go on in your life, you start to just be this, this kind of rest, restful but ready servant of God. And you're just ready. When, when you feel the Lord nudge you to talk to someone, you're like, but it doesn't make any sense. I don't even know that person. Or this feels like a weird time to do it. Or we're just trying to have dinner. You start to recognize that still small voice and you just go and do it. And guess what? Sometimes you see the results. Sometimes you have no idea the impact that you're making. The other thing about light is this. You don't notice that it's, um, uh, you know, that, that it's valuable or, or maybe it's important sometimes until it's gone. Take a street light. I don't know if you have street lights on, on your street, but if a street light goes out, all of a sudden if your house is kind of in total darkness, you're like, wow, it's, it's gone. Months could have gone by. You never would have paid attention to the street light one bit. But the second it's gone, it makes a huge impact. So, so here it is with us again. We're kind of present and we're doing our thing. And, and if it starts to just kind of go out and just eventually go away, um, it really does make a huge difference. Now, take churches. Take churches that started off as beacons of light and lighthouses and, and pointing people to Jesus. And slowly but surely over time, it just kind of got inward and they just kind of, their, their, their light went out. All of a sudden, their effectiveness, our effectiveness, diminishes and goes away. I want to invite Lizzie to come on up here for a second. 
By the way, conversely, it brings up this idea of a city on a hill cannot be hidden. You know what a city on a hill is? A city on a hill that's, that's, that's lit up. Next time you see a shot of San Francisco all lit up at night, those are a bunch of little individual lights that are just all together. Isn't that a cool picture of the church? And, and, and all together, we will achieve an, an illuminating capacity, come on up, um, that we could never achieve alone. And that's part of what's so cool about coming together as a community group or coming together as a whole church. Is to just come and bring our lights together and, and do these things. I've asked Lizzie to come on up because um, this summer she is going to be, um, in essence, salt and light in a, in a pretty unique capacity. So share with us about what I'm talking about. Um, so I am going on a mission trip to Japan this summer. A while ago I talked to um, Hideko Akashi, who used to go here a couple years ago, um, who lives in Japan now. And she uh, got me in touch with teen missionaries. And I will be leaving the end of June. I'll be there all of July. Um, and I will be working with a church planner. I'm going to be helping in the church, doing working with kids or women's groups, whatever is needed. And then also um, I'll be doing more outreach-oriented things, like um, passing out flyers on the street to get people to come, and English conversation classes so that I can actually like get to know people. Um, and use a skill that I have from being American um, that they want. Um, and it's a great way to actually connect with them um, on their level and then be able to bring them into a church because they know me and they'll trust me by that. Um, and, yeah, that's what I'll be doing all day. Cool. Thanks, Lizzie. Um, Lizzie. Lizzie had mentioned that, that she was going on this trip, and so we just kind of met to kind of talk about it a little bit. And... Um, I just started to get really excited about it. She's actually heading back for training in uh, Wheaton, Illinois for four days, three days, something like that. Um, just some pre-training for the trip and all of that. Um, most every missionary who's ever, who's ever gone into full-time missions started with some kind of a short-term trip. And God's used short-term trips immensely in my life and in the lives of many, many students who've, who've gone along. And, um, and one of the things that so excited me, I, I was talking with Lizzie about things, I was hearing the nature of it and just poking some different questions and finding out some different things. And, um, and one of the things that struck me that was so encouraging, I was just on cloud nine after she shared this with me, I said, Lizzie, you have to share this with the church. But I just asked her, I said, I said Lizzie, what, um, what can, can I be praying for you about specifically? And here, here was her answer. Why don't you share what, what you shared with me now? Um, so I have um, a friend here um, who is in a Christian. And I look, she's a very dear friend of mine. And it breaks my heart that she's not a Christian. I finally was pushed to the point where I actually said something to her um, because I cared about her that much. And um, I get very nervous with street evangelism, and I'm not very good at it, and it's hard for me, and I don't feel connected to the person, but I know that's what they need to hear. Um, So I was just praying that I could make five friends that I am that close to that my heart breaks for them. Um, Five people, it was just a random number I picked, but um, just that prayer that I would have those five friends in Japan that I could actually um, be that close to and care that much about that I actually want to bring them to Christ. Uh, bring them to Christ. That's awesome. Thanks, Lizzie. Hey, let me say a word of prayer for Lizzie, and then we'll uh, keep going. God, thank you so much for drawing uh, Lizzie into service uh, this summer, and God, um, when a lot of college students are going to be um, going off on travels and, and just vacationing, which isn't wrong, Lord. 
but Lizzie just had it on her heart to go and to serve. And I thank you, Lord, for that. I pray that we'd be able to get behind her as a church in prayer and in finances and in, and in just uh, inquiry when she gets back, finding out how it went and helping her debrief her time there and what God was doing. Lord, for those of us who can't go and spend uh, six weeks in Japan this summer, um, Father, we just are excited that she gets to go and kind of be a, a representative of your church here in San Jose. Father, we do pray your blessing on the trip. Um, we pray, God, that, that you would be at work. We already know that you will be. And, Lord, we do ask for these five people that would come into Lizzie's heart in, uh, in such a way that um, she really would be moved to, to be bold and to think about what would it look like for this person to spend eternity apart from Christ in hell? And Father, I thank you that um, she's put herself in the path of blessing just by doing this. And we just trust that you'll uh, respond to that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Lizzie. Well, listen, um, sometimes it's, uh, it's just fun to, to highlight trips like this because it's an exciting thing that Lizzie's going out from amongst us. And I always love hearing back from people who've been to Mexico, people who've been on trips and even just different places because it, it rejuvenates your own um, capacity to serve and, and to get outside yourself and, and all of that. Um, but, but, but really what we're talking about this morning is not waiting for trips to Japan. Not waiting for summer missions trips to Mexico. Not waiting for kind of these, these massive things. If you were to take salt and light and say, how are we failing at this? I mean, it's clearly commanded in Scripture to just live out who we already are. We're already empowered this way to be influencers. The question arises, why, why don't we? Why don't we do this? And um, I want to just read you a, a little poem that was kind of written and it was... It was taken out of, out of something that, that uh, Jesus, Jesus said and it's kind of been reworked a little bit. And it says this, In it, not of it, the statement was made. As Christian one faced the world much afraid. In it, not of it, the call was made clear. But Christian one got something stuck in his ear. Not in it or of it was the thing that he heard. And knowing the world was painfully absurd, he welcomed the safety of pious retreat and went to a potluck for something to eat. Now, Christian, too, he knew what to do. He'd show those fundies a thing or two. How will the world ever give Christ a try if we don't get in there and identify? So in it and of it, he said in his car as he pulled in and stopped at a popular bar, I'll tell them the truth as soon as I'm able to get myself out from under this table. Now along comes Christian 3, jogging for Jesus in witnessing sweats made of four matching pieces. His earphones are playing a hot Christian tune. How about, how about the Lord is coming back soon? Not in it, but of it. He turns down the hill and stops for a bite at the Agape Grill. Like the gold on the chain of his God loves you bracelet, he can have the world without having to face it. While up in heaven, while, while way up in heaven, they lament these conditions that come from changing a few prepositions. Not in it or of it, Christian one thought, but who in the world will know that he's not. In it and of it, thought Christian too, but who in the world will know that he knew? Not in it, but of it, thought Christian three, but who in the world watches Christian TV? And Jesus turns to Gabriel, shaking his head, in it, not of it. Wasn't that what I said? You know, we get this wrong. We just do. And I think, 
I think as Christians, we ought, to, we ought to be constantly living a life of repentance, right? Because it's bumping up against guardrails, climbing over guardrails, crashing down the guardrails, and saying, Lord, I need your help. I need your grace every day. Demanding is, is demanding, and so, we, and so we need to lean on God's grace. I love that line in Come Thou Found. Tune my heart to sing thy grace. Let it not be tuned to all of these other things. In the world and of it leads to liberalism. Not in the world nor of it leads to monasticism or isolationism. Or instead of being an influence, it's just being salt sitting in a little salt shaker waiting for God to, to take us home. In the world, not of it, is a disciple of Jesus. Loving the people of the world but not falling in love with the world. I want to just turn your attention for a moment to Jesus' salt and light. Jesus' salt and light is this. Jesus was a missionary to another culture. He left his culture, his perfect culture of comfort and safety and all that you could kind of wrap into that. And he left that culture to come to our culture. And he, he humbled himself. He condescended to come and to, and to walk amongst us. Not only did he leave heaven, but he commands us to leave, to go. There's this great picture of the church where it says we, we come together as a church and we gather for training and for encouragement and for prayer and to get retuned to the Gospel. But it's not just about gathering. We then scatter. And Sunday mornings ought to be about gathering and coming together, celebrating what God's doing, mourning over the things that are going wrong, fighting sin, putting to death sin. Reminding one another of the Gospel. Preaching the Gospel to one another. Say, brother, sister, God's forgiven that on the cross. Lay down that burden. It's done. It has no more power over you. You've confessed it. Jesus has washed it away. Praise God for that. And then we can sing a song about it. But like that song that we sang, God of Justice, we must go. Live to feed the hungry. Clothe the naked. Free the captives. Preach the Gospel. Be the Gospel. And that's this idea of scattering. I want you to think of where you will be on Tuesday at 3 o'clock this coming week. Just get that in your head for a second. Roughly, where do you think you will be this coming Tuesday at 3 o'clock? I just want to hear a couple of answers. Dale, can you tell me where you're going to be at 3 o'clock, roughly? Working? Okay, where is that? What city? Okay, are you in a cubicle? Or are you Where are you at? Okay, so you'll be at home working and doing that. Okay, Wendy? Where? Where at in San Jose? Okay, kind of over by the fairgrounds, right? Okay. Uh, Jonathan? Los Altos Hills. Okay, where, 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 what conditions you'll, you'll, you'll be in? Okay, probably working on a house somewhere, right? Do you get the picture? I mean, I could, I could keep going. Juan, Juan's going to be over here. Uh, when you get out of class, a, a, a pioneer, Juan. Huh? On Thursday. So you'll still be in school. Okay? He'll be having a few bit finals. He'll be stressed out. We'll be praying for one. He's going to be over here a pioneer. We've got, we've got students over, over at the end of the college. We've got people that are, that, are, that are all over the place. And that's this idea that, that this salt and light, this influence can, can, can go out and infiltrate the entire city. What an incredible thought that is. Jesus was engaged and yet distinctive. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you agree with that? Everywhere he went, he was engaged. Things were happening around Jesus. You didn't not notice Jesus. It's the same today. You can talk about spirituality, God, higher powers, but you bring up Jesus, you know what happens? You, you kind of polarize things right away. 
Things happen when you bring up Jesus' name. It was the same when he walked the earth. And yet, he was distinctive. He was influencing in every dark, tasteless corner. And just like a doctor coming for the sick that he said he was, he, he was there in these places influencing. And you know where Jesus shone the brightest? Where was it? Was it on the cross? Right? I mean, when things looked the worst for Jesus, that's when, that's when he shone the brightest. Surely this was the Son of God. Jesus, remember me when you enter your kingdom. I mean, something's different about this, this criminal and the way that, that he died. Here's a sobering thought, but one to think about before it comes. Your death, the way that you and I die as Christ's followers, will speak volumes to what was really going on in our lives. You know a weird prayer that I have sometimes? I pray that I will suffer well. I pray that I will die well. I really do. Because it's a test. I don't know how it's going to turn out. But I pray right now, while I'm alive and don't have some disease or don't plan on getting in a car accident today, I pray right now. I say, Lord, I want to die well. Would you on my deathbed, would you let me be bold for you and understand that, that you're the greatest treasure? I want my kids to see that. I want my church to see that. I, I want to be a good disciple in that way. I want to die well, just like Jesus did. How are we doing? How are we doing at this? Um, just a great assessment. Uh, this is an author um, that, that, that wrote this, and I thought, I thought this is a, a powerful kind of picture of, of how we're doing in this. The way that we are with each other is the truest test of our faith. How I treat a brother or sister from day to day. How I react to the sin-scarred wino on the street. How I respond to, interpretation, or to interruptions from people I dislike. How I deal with normal people in their normal confusion on a normal day uh, may be a better indication of my reverence for life than the anti-abortion sticker on the bumper of my car. The picture is this, is that when it comes to revival, I think a lot of times we as God's people are, are praying to God and waiting for God to show up and do the miraculous. When maybe all the while God's saying, children, just do the obvious. There is so much hurt and so much need and so much captivity around you. I don't know every one of your circumstances, but I promise you this is true. It's there. There's sickness. There's, dark, there's darkness. There's tastelessness. There's rotting meat that you as salt are there to preserve. You as salt are there to flavor. You as light are there to illuminate and to help out. Right now, our middle schoolers are doing what I'm going to challenge you to do this week. There was a guy named Jim Montgomery, and he wrote a book called I'm Going to Let It Shine. And we went through this as a staff in about 2000. And he basically has this thing of being a, a, a lighthouse of prayer. Like just, just saying, what if your house... This is a picture of my new neighborhood. We just, we just moved and NBC is, is in this shot. And the reality is that Jesus is alive and well in my neighborhood because He's got Christians there. He's got brothers and sisters that live in the scope of this place. And what if our house, what if your house became this lighthouse of prayer. Let me teach it to you in about two minutes. Here's all it is. Ready? It's just prayer, care, and share. Prayer is this. What if you started to take walks with the intentionality of saying, as a family, as a couple, as an individual, I'm going to look at each home and pray God's rich blessing on the people that live in that home. 
And the richest blessing you can have is to be made one with a holy God that we were just singing about. That's the greatest gift, right? And so you start to just pray. You start to walk your neighborhood. You're out in your neighborhood. You know what happens when you walk your neighborhood? You meet neighbors. This starts like Mr. Rogers or Sesame Street. Um, but, but it's true. You, 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 you just walk around. And here's what you can do. When you bump into someone, you can smile and say hello. That's not that hard. And you can get into some chit-chat. And you know what? You can, you can, there's a lot of different ways to just be engaged with someone and, um, and, and, and know that it's okay. It's a safe thing to just toss out. Hey, you know what? I'm walking my neighborhood. Um, I just wonder, is, is there, I'm, I'm a Christian. Is there any way I can, I can pray for you? I would venture to guess, in, in my track record, I would say somewhere between 7 and 8 out of 10 people I ever asked that to say, of course. Especially if I say, is there anything that you need prayer for? Because then they go, yeah, of course. And they just say, can I pray for you right now? What is that? Uh, yeah, sure, pray for me. And you can start praying for your neighbors. You know what you do? You remember their name. I have to write it down because I don't have a memory that just like locks it in, like some of you. I write it down. And then you commit to praying for that person. You just be on your merry way. And you know what? You start to do this. And you know what you're going to find? You're going to find a longer list of things to care for than you have a lifetime to fill. Because those prayer requests are needs. Someone says, we're anxious about getting pregnant because we haven't been able to get pregnant in a really long time. And you go, man, that must be a really hurtful thing. I'm going to pray for that. One day you see the wife pregnant. And you're able to rejoice with your neighbor in that. Say, that's awesome. That's so cool. You don't have to preach a sermon. You don't have to say, see, God told you, though. You don't have to do any of that stuff, right? That's a lot of salt. That's a lot of light. It's just, it's just that. And then you know what? We take it for granted. Right now, in fact, Dwayne and Gina Hood just had their baby on Friday, was it? We have a new addition. We have a new member, a little boy. Have they named him yet? Daniel. Daniel. Good. I hadn't heard a name yet at the, at the point that I'd asked. Um, we take it for granted a little bit um, where, where people line up meals for each other. People just come along and say, you know what? You're going to need some meals. No, we're good. No, trust me. You're going to need some meals. So we just come and do that. You know what? You could be that for, for a person four houses down that for ten years you may have never even seen that person or maybe you waved in the car. You know, I mean, that's, that's how simple it is. Right now our middle schoolers are walking the neighborhoods in little pods of people just cruising around. And, and it's, it's that simple of a thing. What if, what if we just started to do that? What if we just started to, to carve out time? Remember part of why we don't have a ton of program at NBC? We want to have open hearts we want to have open homes. We want to have open schedules. And we want to start being the church in our neighborhood. I would venture to guess a lot of you in this room could lead a Bible study for your neighbors. You know why? You know spiritually so much more than, than they do. You can point them to places. You can point them to Scriptures. You will suddenly be out on the water, out of the boat, and you'll be growing like crazy as you follow Christ in those kinds of ventures. Let me invite the band up, and we're going to close with um, a song or two. Verse 16 says, Let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. God, we get that our flavor, our light shining God has a point to it, and that is so that people would praise you that people would look to You. 
Father, I want to thank you right now for people in my life that pointed the way to the Savior in my life. Some modeled it and some used words and gave testimony about it. Some did both. And God, we wouldn't be sitting here this morning experiencing and tasting sweet fellowship with you, with brothers and sisters, were it not for that person. And so God, break our hearts. Break Lizzie's heart for at least five people that come into her life. I pray that we would follow her example and pray for five people that we'd care enough about that we'd get over ourselves. Care about their eternal destiny more than our reputation or our comfort. God, we thank you for your patience with us. We thank you for nudging us and moving us forward, keeping us from just sitting here thinking about things. 